0: Welcome to the Stonebridge Community Church online worship service. Today, you'll hear the Word of God read, the message from this weekend's in-person service, and two songs
1: to guide you in worship. Thanks for joining us today.
2: Hello, everyone. I'm Pastor John. I haven't met you yet, although I know you all. Hi. How's it going? Good to see you all. Um... So, we are in the sermon series called Stonebridge Deli, where we're looking at what's called the and Sandwich, and I just want to prepare you all, for those of you who come every single week, you're going to hear this explanation and introduction every week, so get used to it and embrace it. But what we're doing in this sermon series is looking at a literary device that Mark uses, that the Holy Spirit inspired Mark to utilize. And what Mark, the writer of this gospel, does, and it's a number of points in this gospel this happens. Mark takes one story. You see the bread? This is the bread. Mark takes one story and cuts it in half. And then Mark takes the second story, puts it in the middle there. You see how it's a sandwich? Get it? Mark and sandwich? You have two stories. The one story begins... And then it'll stop abruptly, and he moves to another story. And then almost just as abruptly, Mark goes back to the original story. And in doing this, Mark is combining two stories uh, to help spur the memory, but then also to teach us a deeper point. By combining these stories, Mark has something deeper to show us. So this morning, we'll be looking at one of these Mark and sandwiches from Mark chapter six, verses seven through 30. And I'm going to invite up Ryan Jocelyn, our youth director, to help me with the reading so that you can see where one story begins and ends and where the other story picks up and you can see the differences there and how that works. So, like I said, we'll be reading from Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 30, and I invite you to hear God's word.
1: He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. He said to them, wherever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. If any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that all should should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them.
2: King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. Some were saying, John the baptizer has been raised from the dead, and for this reason these powers are at work in him. But others said, It is Elijah. And others said, It is a prophet like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod himself had sent men who arrested John, bound him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. For John had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he protected him. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his courtiers and officers and for the leaders of Galilee. When his daughter Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish and I will give it. And he solemnly swore to her, whatever you ask me, I will give you, even half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what shall I ask for? She replied, the head of John the baptizer. Immediately, she rushed back to the king and requested, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was deeply grieved, yet out of regard for his oaths and for the guests, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately, the king sent a soldier of the guard with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison, brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. Then the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard about it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb
1: the apostles gathered around Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught.
2: Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your scriptures. And we ask that through your scriptures now, you would speak to us. That through your scriptures, your Holy Spirit would speak to us. We ask, Lord, that through these two stories, the way they've been combined, we would understand what the point is. We'd understand how we are to follow you, what we should expect in following you. Guide us through these passages now, Lord, through these stories. Help us to be your followers in this world, just as the 12 were sent out. We thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So, like I said, two different stories here that have been woven together by Mark. And I do have to acknowledge As somebody pointed out to me um, between the services, the, the bread on the story is a little thin at the end there. It's just that one line. It's not the most filling sandwich. It's not evenly cut there. But Mark has intentionally woven these two stories together. We know that because both of these stories appear in Matthew and Luke, but separately. They're not tied together the way they are here in the gospel of Mark. Mark has pulled them together. And the stories seem pretty different. The first story focuses on Jesus sending the 12 out, his closest disciples. He's commissioning them. And this is kind of an exciting moment. They're the followers. They're the ones who are learning, but now they're being sent out to go and to do the mission. They're the ones who are going to go out and actually proclaim the kingdom of God. Jesus does give them some instructions, making it clear that there's a bit of a trade-off here. They're told to not take a ton of money. They're told to not take a lot of clothing. It's pretty clear that Jesus wants his followers to travel lightly, to live simply. It's not about money. It's not about clothing. It's not about what you might get out of it all in terms of material possessions. Jesus also gives them instructions about what to do when towns reject them, which means towns will reject them. Not everyone's going to like them. Not everyone's going to embrace them. There's a bit of a trade-off there. You get to follow Jesus, but you're going to live simply, and people are going to reject you. You're going to have to shake the dust off of their feet at them. But then look at what they do. And this is the trade-off here. This is what makes it worth it. They have power over unclean spirits. They're anointing people and healing people. If you were to tell me, here's the deal. You get to do these miraculous powers through your own work, not even through Jesus, just through you. But you have to live a little simply. I would take that deal. I think most of us would take that deal. To be able to go around and heal people and do these things. And you can imagine the early readers of the Gospel of Mark reading the Gospel up to this point and getting excited, recognizing this gospel is inviting them into discipleship, inviting them to be followers of Jesus, that they could be sent out in the way the 12 were also. It's an exciting moment in this gospel where the disciples, the followers, become the bearers of the mission. And I kind of wish Mark just left this one alone. But Mark doesn't. Mark includes this second story here goes out of his way to include this second story by adding on that final line there, closing out that the apostles, the ones who were sent come back and they share with Jesus all that they did. But before we hear that they came back, we get to learn about John the Baptist and his death. John the Baptist is that famous preacher who came before Jesus, who lived out in the desert, a prophet who ate a weird diet, ate or wore weird clothes, was a bit of an oddball. And here in the story, we learn about his death. And it's a very disturbing story the more and more you think about it. It's disturbing for a number of reasons, but overall, big picture, John the Baptist dies for really no reason. It all begins because he challenges Herod the king. He says that Herod should not have violated God's law by taking his brother's wife. That he shouldn't be married to her. So Herod throws him in jail because he's the king and he can do whatever he wants and he's corrupt. And then Herod's wife, Herodias, wants John dead because she challenged their marriage. And at that point, you could say, okay, this is what corrupt people do. This is what people with power do. They abuse it. That's just what happens But then it gets more and more bizarre and disturbing. Herod's, it's actually, in our terms, his stepdaughter, Herodias' daughter. She comes in, she dances at his birthday party, pleases everybody there, pleases Herod so much he promises her anything. She goes to her mother because she doesn't know what to ask for. She's probably somewhere between 12 and 15 years old at this point. And her mother, instead of seeing pride, instead of seeing an accomplishment, what she sees is an opportunity for murder. And she enlists her daughter to become an accomplice in the murder of John the Baptist. And even more bizarrely to me, we're told that Herod doesn't want to harm John. He doesn't want to kill him. But then he made this promise and it's this moment where Herod's just like, oh, well, I guess you tricked me. Now I have to kill somebody. These people are horrible. They're terrible. There's a callousness to life here. There's an indifference to John the Baptist's life. It's a simple, petty grudge that results in a young girl being handed a severed head on a platter. This is a disturbing story. So what is Mark doing? What's the point of pulling these two stories together? What is Mark's point here? Now, I'll say with all of these stories, there's room for interpretation. Scholars debate what these stories mean, what these Mark and Sandwiches mean. So what I'm going to present today, challenge it, test it, see if you have a better interpretation. But the best guess that I can come up with, the best interpretation that makes the most sense and fits the gospel of Mark is that what Mark is doing is this. You have this exciting moment. You have this gospel building up to the 12 being sent out. And the person who's reading it would be excited at that moment. Realize there's a trade-off. Then Mark inserts this John the Baptist story to raise the stakes. John the Baptist was just. John the Baptist was righteous. John the Baptist did nothing wrong. He was simply remaining faithful to God's law and calling the people around him to be faithful to God's law. And look at what happened to John the Baptist. And if that can happen to him, If you're going to follow Jesus, it could happen to you also. The entire gospel of Mark is an invitation to follow Jesus, but Mark is very sober about what the consequences may be. I mean, Jesus says a number of times in this gospel, things like whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but the one who's willing to lose his life for the sake of me and the sake of the gospel will save it. He says, take up your cross, which is a symbol of torture and death and follow me. The gospel of Mark is a little intense of a gospel. And as it invites you to follow Jesus, it wants you to understand. Following Jesus can be intense. There can be consequences to it. Mark's message is basically follow Jesus. You may get ahead. Give it just a second. You get it? You get it? There you go. I know. That was a good eye roll, Devin. Very appropriate. But I use that joke to highlight some of the absurdity of what Mark's doing here. This is not the type of message that's going to lead to a thriving megachurch. This isn't the type of message that's going to have people storming into the church, giving all of its money to the church. This is not a prosperity gospel type of message. Prosperity gospel is those preachers who... To say things like, follow Jesus and you're going to get what you want. That God's going to bless you in the way you've been praying for and hoping for. This is the opposite of that message. And that message, the prosperity gospel message, the message that follow Jesus and things will be great. It's a very, very harmful message in a number of ways. Because the truth is, when you follow Jesus, things may not be great. You can get this idealized version of following Jesus. And sometimes I think with certain traditions that focus on the decision to follow Jesus or the decision to accept Jesus, you start thinking that that's the point, that the beginning is the point, that just embracing Jesus for the first time is the whole point. And it sets you up for failure in your faith. It's kind of similar to what you see sometimes in romantic relationships. Sometimes people can think that getting married itself is the point. That the act of getting married. I had a friend who did this. Friend from high school. He had it in his head that if he he got married, then his life was going to look how it was supposed to look. So he, he married his girlfriend from high school. And sometimes that can work. I know sometimes it does work. But in this case, they were not ready. They were not even close to ready. They had a number of us telling them, don't do this, you guys are not ready. They got married. And it took a few weeks, I think, for them to realize what the reality of marriage actually was. The excitement wore off. Things got difficult. They realized that they didn't really actually communicate well at all, that they couldn't really compromise. They started feeling trapped. And it took them nine months for infidelity to take place, and for the marriage to fall apart. So by the time that they were 21 and 22, they already had a divorce in their background. I think that that happens when it comes to following Jesus because people get sold a false bill of goods. You get told that following Jesus is going to make your life perfect. It's going to make everything exactly how you want it. You get told that if you just do this or you just pray this way, things are going to be good. That's not how it works And the gospel of Mark is clear that that's not how it works. Not only will things not always be great, but sometimes you might end up like John the Baptist did. It's important for us to know this too, because in our culture, I don't think many of us, if any of us will ever be asked to sacrifice what John the Baptist had to give up. We're not going to lose our lives for following Jesus, most likely in our culture. But there are cultures where that does happen. In today's world, there are Christians who have lost their lives, who have been willing to give that up. And the readers of the gospel of Mark were willing to give up their lives. They suffered persecution for the sake of the gospel. They didn't do it because they were going to get something out of it. They didn't do it because they were promised that everything in their lives was going to be exactly how they wanted it. They didn't do it because they had a prosperity gospel preacher telling them that it's going to be exactly what they want. That's not why you follow Jesus. What you get out of it is not why you follow Jesus. The reason the early Christians were willing to sacrifice everything was because they believed that the gospel was true. And the hope of the gospel, the hope of the resurrection, the hope that God will restore this world, the hope that God is going to make this world perfect in God's eyes, not in our eyes. That hope Needed to spread. The world needed to have that message. Needed to hear that message. So they were willing to share that hope. They were willing to be faithful to Jesus. They were willing to follow Jesus. So that that news would spread. So that good news would spread throughout this world. That was the most important thing to them. That's why we have the gospel of Mark here. And in following Jesus. It needs to be the most important thing for us. The news of hope and resurrection needs to be the thing that drives you. Believing that it's true. Believing that it is the good news of this world. Believing that it is what people need to hear. Being willing to do what it takes to share that news with other people. To give people a glimpse of the kingdom of God in their lives so that they can have hope. So that hope can spread. That's the reason you follow Jesus. That's what Jesus invites us into. That's the point. So no, it's not going to be perfect. Sometimes you're going to have to sacrifice things. But at the end of the day, God will make right all that is wrong. And the gospel that we have is more important than anything you may be asked to sacrifice. That's what I think Mark is doing here with this sandwich. Please pray with me. Lord, We thank you for this story, these two stories that are combined. We thank you for the challenge in them, though it's not an easy challenge, Lord. We know that your gospel is the truth, that the resurrection took place, and that this is news that the world needs to hear, Lord, that this hope needs to spread. So help us to do that. Help us to spread this hope. Help us to follow you. Help us to be your disciples. Give us what we need to do that, Lord.
0: Yeah.